The Lifestylist, episode 37, featuring Guru Jagged. I'm Luke Story, a former celebrity fashion stylist and founder of School of Style. For the past 20 years, I've been relentlessly dedicated to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of health and spirituality. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. The name they gave me is Luke Story, and the name I gave this show is The Lifestylist Podcast. And you, my friend, are about to join me and our guest, Guru Jagat, as we enter the vortex. No, seriously, Guru Jagat is a kundalini master and founder of Rama Institute. So I went over there this morning and took a 90-minute class with her, which was preempted by a 20-minute meditation class, and then another one after that. And somehow I managed to drive to her house down the street in Venice without getting a DUI, like a spiritual DUI, meaning I was pretty blissed out. But I got to her house, set up my gear, and we sat down and had one of the most immersive, satisfying conversations that I've had in a long time, which is why we're breaking this into two episodes. It was a two-hour talk. We went into the space of what I call no time, man. That's where the clocks disappear, and you lock eyes and lock souls with someone, and you just go deep, and that's what we did. So this is part one. Next week will be part two. And you could say that the theme of this particular show is really how to live an authentically spiritual life in the real world. Like how to be a spiritual person, but still be normal and function and do fun things. Not to go live in a cave, but have the live in a cave mindset while you are living in the city or wherever you are and bringing your best and most powerful self to the world. So we of course cover Kundalini Yoga and Yogi Bhajan who brought that practice to the States, how she found it, how she founded the Institute and Rama TV and all these amazing things that she's doing and then we covered some pretty fun things too like why yogis wear turbans and white clothing and take on a spiritual name and how you can do some of those things without becoming a spiritual jerk like how to avoid the spiritual ego of coming and co-opting all of these sort of uh, postures and ways of dressing and speaking without becoming like a fake spiritual person like what does it all really mean and we cover some really fun things like the mysticism of Keith Richards and how sexuality plays into the yogic lifestyle and overcoming limiting beliefs and the idea that you can actually make a ton of money and be very successful but still not be a greedy materialistic person. So I think this is just a fantastic interview and more than an interview is just two minds meeting up, two hearts meeting up. And when that happens in one of my podcasts, I'm just super excited because let's face it, Presenting an interview is pretty boring, like doing one and also being the receiver of an interview is just not that exciting. But when you really can be free and kind of let the conversation go wherever it's going to go, some real magic happens. And I believe that happened in this episode. And I'm so excited to bring you part one of two with Guru Jagat. This episode of the Lifestylist Podcast is brought to you by my homies over at Fountain of Truth Spring Water, the only source for fresh, raw spring water delivered in chilled glass jugs. 
Sourced from legendary Opal Springs in Oregon, Fountain of Truth spring water is loaded with the four primary electrolytes. It's naturally alkaline, filled with the Earth's natural probiotics, and is abundant in the rare beauty mineral silica. Home delivery is currently available in most cities on the West Coast of the United States. To save 27% off your delivery order, go to fountainoftruthspringwater.com and enter the code LIFESTYLIST. That's a pretty fat discount. That's 27% off your delivery. Go to fountainoftruthspringwater.com and enter the code LIFESTYLIST. Since this episode features Guru Jagat, I'd like to let you know that there's a huge kundalini party this New Year's Eve, which is, of course, right around the corner at the Santa Monica Bay Women's Club. So Guru Jagat's going to be there, my teacher, Tage, Guru Jagat's teacher, Hari Jiwan, Guru Joss, and, of course, the band White Sun will be performing. Now, I've been for the past two years, and I'm, of course, going again this year. To me, there's, like, no better place to be in town. You know, it depends, I guess, what you're into, if, like, going to a techno club in Vegas and like dropping E is your thing on New Year's Eve, like have fun with that, go at it. But if you want some good, clean fun and a natural high, uh, this yoga party is insane. So we do some Kundalini yoga, there's massive gong meditations and all sorts of crazy stuff. There's a bazaar and there's food served. It's just like a really fun, high vibration experience. So I wanted to let you guys know that. Uh, if you're interested in going, you can just show up there, I think. It's 45 bucks at the door. If you want to register in advance, you can go to this website, harijiwan.com forward slash event. I know you need help spelling that. I'm also going to put it in the show notes, which you'll be getting emailed if you're on my email list. Uh, how you spell harijiwan.com is H-A-R-I. J-I-W-A-N, harijiwan.com forward slash event. And if you're going to be in LA, man, come check it out. I'm going to be there with all my friends and Guru Jagged and everyone else in the LA scene. Hope to see you there. Guru Jagat is the youngest senior kundalini yoga teacher in the world and the face of the new kundalini movement. She is the founder of Rama Institute for Applied Yogic Science and Technology, a premier yogic institute with locations in Venice, California and Palma de Mallorca, Spain. Guru Jagat's other entrepreneurial pursuits include Rama TV, the Netflix of kundalini yoga, and her record label, Rama Records. Her first book, Invincible Living, will be published in January 2017 by Harper Elixir, an imprint of HarperCollins. She lives in Los Angeles, California. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So you guys listening, we're sitting here in her living room and we've got a couple little watchdogs. I wish we had this on video because the setting's beautiful, but it's a very spiritually oriented space. It's got really good energy. And we just came from Guru Jagat's class at Rama Institute. And so I just did, I don't know, it seemed like two hours because there was like a bonus class after so there's a lot of bonus before and after yeah it's like I don't know it felt like just one there's one continual class going 24 hours a day over there which we'll Basically, talk about yeah so it's thank you so much for the wonderful class thank you I'm like super high from it right I know, now so I know <laughs> please <laughs> listeners excuse me or us if we get into some crazy shit we're here. a it's, little high on our own supply <laughs> it's quite possible but uh, I think this is the first class I've done where we went right from a class into the interview mm, so it's cool. awesome So I want to start off with something that I know you're really excited about, and then we'll get into a little bit of your history, but let's talk about your book, which is about to drop, Invincible Living. 
Awesome. Yeah, I am excited about it. You know, you make a piece of art and then you can't stand it. And so there was a point at which like I had rewritten the book many, many times, at least four times and kind of was on my fifth rewrite. And the copy editors were like, look, girl, you need to like get yourself together. And um, so at that point, I promised myself I wasn't going to read it for a while. And so it's been about, you know, six to nine months before I really picked it back up and started reading it again, right in the kind of pre-order window. And I mean, all you can do is impress yourself. And I actually started reading it again. I'm like, wow, this is like good. This is this is amazing because it it really was that last little copy editing portion was very painful. And I know all of the creatives and the artists understand that, you know, you create something over a span of time. You've transformed so much. You've changed so much. And then this kind of like is holding a certain time and space. So I was really happy to feel like there's some timelessness in it and the art in it, the visual art and the and the heart and just my kind of love song to my teacher and this lineage and and these technologies that have changed my life so much and I see changing other people's lives so rapidly and so much. I I feel really, really just so excited about it. Well, I'm glad to hear someone uh, who's got the experience of carrying a message like yourself has that period of redoing things over and over again. Oh my God. <laughs> because it's like, you know, when, when we as consumers of content or art get the finished product, I think we tend to think that that's just how it came out. Yeah. And I know that like when I first started doing my podcast, like for example, which is my art, current, you know, main yes. form of art, yeah. communications, I guess. I mean, I would record my little intros that are only two minutes long. I would do like 30 of them <laughs> before I put it out, yeah. you know, and no one knew that. And then people yeah. like, wow, dude, you're pretty good at this for like never having done it. Do you have a background in broadcasting? I'm like, no, no, I guess I've just got it. Little do they know I'm like obsessing over every goddamn right, right. word, you know, <laughs> in my home studio before I release anything to the world. And it's mm. been a great practice to kind of let go. It is a great practice. And just surrender. At a certain point, the baby's ready to come out. And it's like, okay, if it comes out, you know, with... Uh, creative down syndrome so be it I'm gonna love it and just like <laughs> let yeah. it be there you know yeah I'm gonna create it anyways which definitely is a major part of my message is just the emptiness and the alienation and the loneliness and the fear and the anxiety and the pressures of this information age the biggest cure is creativity and creativity for creativity's sake and creativity for uh, you know kind of more productive creativity like entrepreneurship or like you know loving someone in a way that that is art or you know kind of a more functional creativity but also just art for art's sake we have to do it anyways we just have to do it anyways and so yeah the book was definitely a process of that I mean I'm a bit of a channeler and I definitely um, blow every deadline I've ever had forever my whole entire life it's one of my trademarks Um, so I blew every single deadline and, and and you know in that last kind of like uh, two weeks later than I was supposed to actually get the the material in it would be you know definitely a channeled kind of experience but but then the laborious task of going back and having to be kind of what Ezra Pound was to T.S. Eliot you know this kind of Ezra Pound was T.S. Eliot's like if you look at the manuscript of the wasteland that Ezra Pound pounded um, and edited it's really actually a very interesting kind of um 
revelation in what happens when as an artist and as a poet and as a creator, as a human, you have to be willing to cut out to edit your best line, like the line you think is like the most fantastic. You have to be willing to sacrifice that. And I really took that as a spiritual practice. It was like the thing that I think is the best, I have to be willing to sacrifice as as a way to kind of crack open another level of so it's been a beautiful experience and, and I really, I'm very excited for it to go out into the world and, and touch people who feel like they aren't spiritual or, you know, they don't look good in spandex or they don't know how to touch their toes or they've never heard some like mantra in another language or they don't have the time because they, they work two jobs and they don't have the time to like go and take a yoga class. Like, you know, we just spent like three hours, you know, doing yoga this morning in Venice, California. But I, I really want this book to go to people who, are, you know, suffering and and need something that's a quick fix and that that will help them at a moment's notice wherever they are. So that's my, I told my publishers, I was like, I really want this book to get in Walmart. And they were like, um, okay, well, let's just, um, let's take a little step back from that. They're like, how about Target? Um, but I really like, if this book could get into Walmart, that that is ultimately my goal. I want the book in Walmart. I'm just stating it Hey, right listen, now. Walmart is, I, th- I, I think if I've got this right, they are the single largest um, purchaser and purveyor of organic food in the world. So... There you go. I mean, by sheer numbers, right? And yeah. public demand. Just, what I, you know, I know, like, I'm not talking like, eth- you know, ethics or politics. I'm talking about those are the consumers I want this message to get to. Like, I don't want to preach to the choir. Yeah, yeah. totally. Well, it's, it's funny um, that you mentioned that. I'm thinking of, like, having to edit yourself, but when you're dealing with publishers and you're dealing with the entities and the powers that be that sort of control the commerce of creativity and content that you have to be diplomatic. And I forgot about that process of editing the things that you love, those ideas that you're attached to. Um, when I used to play music, you know, you're dealing with five or six other people and they all have a different, different opinion about what track should go on the album or what overdub you should keep. And there was like, I was always the guy for some reason that was like, you idiots don't see it, man. Like, yeah. that's our best song. <laughs> that's the single. And everyone's like, no, we're cutting it. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah. at least like when you do something like I'm doing now, I'm totally self-governing, unfortunately also self-funding, you know, um, that's the other side of it. I do know, I do know. But no one can tell me what to take out or what to put in, and that's kind of nice to a point, but then you also only have your your fans or followers' feedback uh, as a point of reference to edit yourself too, so you're sort of like flying blind in a way. So that's that's interesting. I I forgot about that part of it. Yeah, I mean, I I will say that Harper Elixir, they were very hands off. I mean, they've been incredible. So they weren't like giving me any, they weren't like trying to censor me in any way. They weren't going to try that. Um, (laughs) They know I'm a wild card. Uh, But no, it wasn't that. It was more just the meticulousness and the kind of you know, the clarity and, and if we're in kind of a bubble and we're just like hearing the echo as usually, you know, sometimes we're just like hearing the echo of our own voice. And so it was a very, it was a clarifying experience, a hundred percent, not a censoring experience, but definitely a clarifying experience. And I will say one thing about that, which is in terms of like being your own creator and not letting anyone, you know, tell you what you can and cannot put out. Like you're going to sing your song, you're going to create your art. David Bowie said the only mistake he ever made in his whole career was that he played to the audience. 
the only thing that he ever did that was wrong in his whole career was when he cared about what the audience thought. All you can do is basically make yourself happy, enjoy your own sound, you know, in this and this. You can enjoy the sound of your own voice. You can enjoy the experience of your own mystical journey through the galaxy of yourself. That's all you can do. And that's magnetic. People, and obviously you're doing a good job of it because that people are interested in that. It's magnetic to watch a hero's journey, to feel a hero's journey or a heroine's journey. That's, it's, it's mythological. That's really interesting. Uh, I didn't know that about David Bowie, but that has been my experience. I read a friend of mine's um, essay, this author, Neil Strauss, who's an amazing... I mean, I was like a fan of his before we ever became friends. It was just a weird thing. We ended up being buddies. But I love his writing and especially his interviews. And he's interviewed, you know, just... I mean, so many famous people from actresses to actors and rock stars and everyone in between. And so he wrote this little essay on like his top, whatever it was, 10 or 15 interview tips. And there was all kinds of things about building rapport and some things that are, I think, sort of intuitive that you'd kind of guess if you wanted to get a good interview. But one of the things that surprised me that he said was that you should never ask the questions that you think your audience or reader wants to hear you should ask the questions that you want to know the answer to personally. And it's kind of a selfish approach to that process, but that's basically, without even realizing I was following his directives, Yeah, that's what I do. So as I sit here with you, I have my questions written down, which I may or may not even get to, but I'm going to ask the questions that I personally want to know from yeah. you. And what's crazy is, I think because of the passion that's inherent in that curiosity, Yeah the audience picks up on that passion. And it's like, you're doing what you want to do. And if there's a group of people that want to listen or read your book, that's great. And the people that don't, because they don't want to know the questions you wanted to know, then cool, they'll find someone else to listen to. Yeah. But that's been like so meaningful to me and I appreciate it, that. That's really, yeah, that's 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 beautiful. Go Bowie, that's, that's cool. Isn't it? I wish the Rolling Stones would listen to that, you know, because they always play this, like they're my all-time favorite. Yeah. And I don't even see them anymore. I've seen them so many times because I really don't want to hear like, Honky Tonk Woman again. Yeah, it's over. Please don't play to the audience. Like, what do you guys want to play? Like, bust out some weird B sides, like from '73. Like, give me the weird songs. Like, yeah. I'll go pay five hundred dollars to see the Stones to hear two songs that they pull out of the archives while, like, you know, yeah, the, yeah, the masses want to hear the hits again. Okay. Although I will say that I just saw them at Desert Trip, and I, I saw them last. I think it was last year too, down um, at Petco Stadium which I, I was front row. I'd never seen them before because I was kind of a Beatles girl, but yeah. um, I've gotten into some of their more, their early stuff, the obscure stuff. But I will say that one of the things I find fascinating about Keith Richards, more Keith Richards than Mick, although it's true for Mick too. I mean, it's the aura of the whole group. Um, he does not give a, fa- like he's not even wearing a monitor. Like he was, he was, he was playing some songs. He wasn't even, he wasn't even listening. He was just, yeah, you know, like rock and roll, baby. Like it was hilarious. And I just, I find that so, it is beautiful to watch like his total, like, I mean, yeah, maybe they're playing, maybe they're playing a set that they have constructed for, because they do care about their fans, um, which is sweet. Uh, but Keith could not give a fuck about the way he sounds, the way he looks. Like, I mean, he's just like, it's hilarious. Yeah. And it's very magnetic. He's, it he's is. very funny. It's the fine art of not giving a fuck. Yeah. yeah. That's one person, like, I'm not, I used to, you know, worked in the entertainment industry and met a lot of famous people. Um, most of whom I was not a fan of, but I always said like, I'm not going to quit being a fashion stylist until I get to work with Keith Richards because I didn't, that never would have happened as a musician. I don't think I was 
frankly, like good enough to ever end up playing with yeah, Keith Richards. Yeah, yeah. I was like, okay, but I wasn't yeah. great. I mean, let's yeah, be honest. Yeah. I was like, well, you know, I've dressed some big rock stars and stuff. Maybe someday Keith and it never happened and I finally retired from that. But I got to say, like, if there's one person alive in the world that I would get like super fanned out and just like crumbled to meet, it would be Keith Richards. Yeah, yeah. No, there's I, just I something, There's something about that guy that is very intriguing, not just the music, but he's like a hidden spiritual mystical kind of dude to me, which might sound weird because most people think of him as like a, you know, a drug old, addict yeah, like whatever. a druggie. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. when you see him perform, he has a certain energy about him. And maybe it comes off as that not giving a fuck and just being very free. But he has some sort of, I don't know if it's his Rasta buddies and like all the time he spent in Jamaica, but he has some kind of connection. And it's very, as you use the word, magnetic. It is. It, it's, yeah. it's, yeah, there's definitely a Jai Rastafari vibe. And I personally think that he, which is, this is a Yogi Bhajan teaching. I've actually given multiple lectures on Keith Richards. Oh, no I'm way, very fascinated. Really? Um, because basically, Yogi Bhajan says, create a mold, and then you place your time and space through that mold. So this is the fundamental teaching of this age that we're in, that if you have the power power and the wherewithal and the, the, the strength in your breath and your body and your mind to do that, then you're going to have a, an experience that is fulfilling to you. So Keith Richards, in my opinion, is a great example of this. The man has decided wherever he kind of had an install from his parents or, or incarnationally or whatever, that he's going to be happy. No matter what's going on, the dude is happy. And so he's just kind of put his whole life stream through this kind of mold of happiness. And it's very attractive. And, you know, whether, I mean, okay, fine. Maybe there was some additions to the happiness through through drugs and alcohol. But he's, he doesn't have kind of the druggy vibe or the druggy aura that a lot he of- He doesn't have negative energy. He doesn't. <laughs> That's what's weird. I know exactly what you're talking about. And so it's, it, and I really feel like it's like, I'm not sure if he actually learned something in terms of- from those spiritual traditions or it's just an inherent kind of incarnational thing. But he has put his whole time stream through this like energy of happiness and it's it's really beautiful. I, I agree with you. I think he's like a major spiritual teacher just in the way that he's lived his life. I think that's one of the things that I find so, I don't know, this is like... I wish we had a we had a video. This is so not on my list of things. To you were going to ask me about Keith Richards, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but but here's the thing because it's it's interesting because I myself am a recovering drug addict, yeah. alcoholic to like the highest order, right? right I mean, right. like you went was, for it. She was bad. Yeah, yeah, I went yeah. balls out, okay. which is wonderful because yeah. I've had many many dark nights of the soul. Yeah. You know, the the main one being around 26 years old, and I got it together. But you know, it's been almost 20 years now that I've yeah. been in recovery and yeah. doing Kundalini yoga and all the things I do to just keep my head together. So what's weird about Keith is that it's no um, secret that he was a you know an absolute heroin addict. Yeah, he was yeah. busted in '78 in Canada for carrying it over the border. I mean, right. he's admitted that he was a full-on needle-using yeah. junkie. Yeah. Uh, people that know him that I know, like yep. he still drinks vodka pretty much all mm-hmm. day long, yep. vodka and orange juice. He has his little red cup. Any interview you see, he's going to have that red cup. Yep. So yep. <laughs> to me, I mean, you can't diagnose someone else, but I'd say he's probably like a maintenance drinking right, alcoholic. Right, right. Uh, he's got a long history up until very recently of very regular cocaine use, yeah, which yeah. he quit when he I was in like Bahamas and he fell out of a tree, a coconut right, tree and right. hit his head. And he's like, all right, I'm giving up Coke. What's interesting <laughs> about him is a couple of things. He gave up heroin and then many, many years later, uh, cocaine mm-hmm. without any sort of, our watchdogs are getting pissed. They yeah, don't want yeah, to talk yeah. about cocaine. That's the, that's, that's the key word. Um, they, they did too much Coke last night. But yeah, exactly. They ate something uh, that was laying on the ground. Um, 
but what's weird is he's never been to rehab. He's not like sober, yeah. you know, but he's able to quit those things seemingly by his own willpower, which is fascinating for a guy like me. I can't even quit like biting my fucking fingernails right, on my right, own willpower. Right. Literally, yeah. I mean, I'm not even exaggerating. Yep. Like, I have a problem with it since I, I quit you. smoking. I hear you. But Keith is a trip because usually when someone does that much damage to themselves from being an active addict for that long, when they quit, I mean, you have so much emotional and mental baggage to deal with, so much anger, hostility, resentment, anxiety. You're just like, most of us are a neurotic mess, myself being absolutely no exception. So what you're saying is that that kind of like spiritual happy energy that he has, I'm like, how can you like kind of be probably an alcoholic and still be super happy? It's so weird. It is weird. I think he might be the only one that I've I've ever seen. You know what I'm talking about, Yeah, yeah, no, I know exactly what you're talking about. And and Mick was kind of saying, like he was joking, he's like, you know, maybe you guys are having fun, but it's like a it's like a fucking AA meeting back here, like backstage. <laughs> right, right. Which I thought Did was he hilarious. say that? Yes, you said it. Oh my it. god, that's funny. So I, I don't know what's you know going on, but this is totally a Yogi Bhajan teaching, which is it, it. Besides all of the circumstances and the this and the that, there are certain people which could be you, which could be me at any given moment that decide that this is the kind of way that I'm going to put time and space through my experience instead of being kind of shaken by time and thrown around and somebody looked at me weird and someone said something to me and I'm feeling a little moody and I feel like I always say the time of moodiness is over. Like actually we now have the possibility to, and we have the great need to be steady, rhythmic people, human beings. And we can create that just from the rhythm of our breath. I mean, it's not like some like fancy, fancy, fancy. I mean, we can get really weird and fancy and, and esoteric in Kundalini Yoga, but the just from the rhythm of you commanding your breath consciously will change the whole kind of rhythmic current of the way you experience reality. And for some reason, Keith Richards has some like, you know, incarnational power with this. It's really interesting. It's very interesting. Yeah. And I'm, I'm grateful to have at least been in his... F- presence from afar and witness that myself. So you've mentioned Yogi Bhajan a couple of times and I yeah. just, I, we're going to put it in the show notes. And those of you that are listening right now, you know, the show notes can be emailed to you. If you sign up for my newsletter, I'm going to send you all of these links so you can Google. I mean, you can avoid Googling this. So go to lukestore.com, sign up for my newsletter and we will put a link to Yogi Bhajan. But for those of you That's that don't great. get there, That's yeah, so I know awesome. it's a great service. That's well, a wonderful service. Well, when I listen to podcasts and people mention cool things, I'm like, wait, wait, what, what, what? what? Yeah. And then like, I'll find myself pausing it and like screen grabbing it. Then I get home and try and Google it. And it's like such a hassle. So we, my, my producer Tati, who's going to be listening to this too, yeah. <laughs> she goes through them meticulously. Anything of any relevance, we always link out and then email it to the people on my email list so that like everything we talk about today will be in someone's inbox and they go, oh, Yogi Bhajan, that sounded cool. Let me click on that. That's really and we'll wonderful. Put his, you know, Let's his put Wikipedia. a meditation in there. Let's send out a meditation okay, tell to me everybody, what like a little, a little meditation. Well, I mean, one that I would... I don't know if you're already doing, but we all do it. And I'm so going to like be ragging on you to do, um, is that three minute addiction meditation. Do you do this every day? No, I don't, okay. but I, maybe I could quit by my finger. You will be able you're to. You're talking about the clenching your teeth. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We're, okay. we're addicted to not doing it. So like, don't oh, worry. God, thank we're all you ad- for the reminder. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's so powerful in whether you think of yourself as like a classic addict or just there's some habitual thoughts, patterns, behavioral kind of stuff that's happening, which is just like, you know, being human human and this flesh puppet of a body and trying to figure out how to fucking deal with everything. This three minute, 
<laughs> I love that. I always say meat suit. I love flesh flesh puppet. That is so awesome. Okay. Um, All right. So give us the, the give us the meditation and we'll put it in the show notes. Okay, cool. So it's three minutes is like a decent dose, although it'll be the longest three minutes you ever did. And um we'll we'll send it because it's hard to describe it, uh, you know, over the sound waves. But basically you put your thumbs into these temples, which were named temples not for some random reason. They were named temples because they're actually the entryway into the the great kind of birthright of your evolutionary consciousness, which is your pineal gland. So you put your thumbs there and you squeeze the kind of back molars, which create this rhythmic current in the central brain. And Yogi Bhajan, the teacher, the master of Kundalini Yoga, who brought these teachings to the West, my teacher, as well as Hadi Jivan, um, he said that this meditation in and of itself, just this meditation in several hundred years would be known as um, a medicine, literally a prescriptive medicine. So we practice it every day. I can't tell you. I mean, there's just so, it would take the rest of the show to tell you the stories of, I mean, from heroin to resentment to um, nail biting to whatever's like what about, bothering what you. What about um, politics on Twitter? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. That's, that's my, a big one. That's no, it doesn't current. work for that. No, <laughs> no that's my, it doesn't my work current. for that. I'm I mean, I'm serious. I'm literally like addicted and I don't even tweet. Like I don't really use Twitter, but that's just where like I can get snippets of information and I'm addicted to like updating the feed and I I literally can't stop myself and it interrupts my life. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, I hear you. Addictions come in so many different forms. They come in so many different forms. So it's an amazing meditation. And if you wanted to just try something that will totally change your life three minutes a day. So we're going to link to that and just give us a quick bio of Yogi Bhajan for our listeners that don't know who we're referring to. Yeah, so Yogi Bhajan was, like I said, the master of this type of yoga, Kundalini yoga that I've devoted my life to. And he basically came to the West via Canada um, to teach yoga in the late 60s. He was a Hatha yoga master as well as a Kundalini yoga master. And he realized very quickly that there was a bunch of drugged out you know, kind of hippies and the kids were looking for something that was, that, that was deeper and more meaningful. And there was the acid and, you know, the, the acid Kool-Aid tests and everybody's looking for some kind of spiritual experience. And so he started really one of the first gigs he had was teaching at Woodstock. So he started to give these teachings to show the- Was he there? Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, no yeah. way. That's crazy. I yeah, didn't know that. Yeah, he was that. at Woodstock. Because I know there's, the, there's some footage of a guy like, okay, guys, we're going to do this thing, this breathing. And there's I've just seen like a second of it, but I didn't yeah. realize he was actually there. Yeah. Wow. And a lot of like um, college campuses he would go to and just he went directly to kind of the open-minded youth and started teaching these meditations and kriyas, these practices, these physical practices, these breath practices that would allow them to access what they're looking for externally. And now more than ever, I mean, I have a theory that these new, younger kind of generations, um, we went to an EDM I'm nervous with you petting oh. him because he can be a little grumpy. I'm petting um, a dog. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, he just, I, I couldn't tell which one was which because <laughs> your, your girl was like, uh, one of them bites and one doesn't, but they look <laughs> yeah, exactly they the, look same. the same. Like, what kind of mind F it's, is this? Yeah, sorry. I don't want any like... No, it's interesting because I have a karmically very checkered past with dogs. I yeah. was attacked a lot by really gnarly dogs throughout my life. And so I used to literally say, I hate dogs. Like if a dog barked, I'm like, F you. Like I would voice that I hate dogs and then I realized at a time that I didn't want to use the word hate and that maybe I might want to like re-examine 
that your relationship attitude. With them. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, <laughs> with a girlfriend that I, I dated for a few years, I got her a dog and it lived with us and it became our dog. And now I'm like, I still don't have one. I haven't crossed that line. But sure. now I really love dogs. They're yeah. like the coolest people. So. They are. And he's, he's just old and grumpy. But. So now I've gone like, too blase like if someone warns me about their dog I'm like oh dogs love me now <laughs> yeah like, you're just like I in got, its face because I was yeah, so yeah. paranoid before you know but anyway um, okay I digress so, go ahead yeah so the, the kids that are now these younger generations that are coming in they are so sensitive and so computerized and so they, they actually need the these kind of access to these kind of sounds and and breath and, and certain kind of techniques that Yogi Bhajan gave at the time to the hippie generation, it really was for the future. And he said this over and over again. He said, I'm teaching you guys right now, but this is for a thousand years, 2000 years in the future. And I'm just seeing it before my very eyes. Cause I've been teaching for 15 years since I was, you know, a young and, and I am seeing like in my class yesterday, I don't know if we had any kids in class this morning, but in my class yesterday, there was like a two-year-old, a six-year-old, um, a four-year-old, uh, and the kids are doing the yoga. It's not like me teaching like a children's yoga class. You know, it's nothing like that. I'm teaching just the way I'm, I'm cursing. I'm talking about sex. I'm, you know, and the, uh, you know, it's better to learn from me than someone else. And um, they're just doing the yoga. They're doing the yoga and they need it. They need like the, because it's getting increasingly more computerized and they need certain sorting mechanisms, which is what these technologies are. They're sorting mechanisms because now in the information age, it's not about, can you find a podcast that has something interesting on it? It's about, can we organize the information and have it be something that's actually useful for us instead of just being more information, which is why I love the, that you send out that email because we're all laden with information. It used to be in the, the age that we came from, the people who had the power were the people who had the information. You know, they had the secret text. They had the secret, right, you know, right. but now we all have the information, but now the people who will be victorious and powerful and successful in this time on the planet that we're in and going into are the people who can organize, sort, and utilize the information in the most fast and successful way. And so all of these practices are really just practices to create kind of a velocity in your brain. Um, You know, the Stephen Hawkins, Bill Gates backed uh, brain optimizer pill is out. Have you seen this? No, I haven't. Okay. Well, did you see the movie Limitless? Oh yeah. I take all kinds of weird stuff like that all the time. Yeah. Yeah, I'm super into smart drugs and nootropics and stuff. Yeah. I'm like, Um, why have I not heard of this? yeah. Yeah. So there's some brain optimizer pill that they're backing. I personally don't trust because it's you know it's Bill Gates personally uh, I don't uh, I'm not into that um, but you have seen Limitless the, oh for okay. sure yeah. so so yeah. it's it's basically that pill yeah it's it optimizes like forty percent of the brain in my viewpoint and experience we have all of that capacity all we have to do is access it we have all of the apps for that in kundalini yoga and meditation that you can optimize your brain capacity and your and your strength your nervous system strength your and this affects like i work with athletes all the time it is crazy what happens to you physically when you get this cardiovascular power and this this oxygen in the blood and like the do you know wind that guy yeah Yeah, yeah. i've done a lot of that training and you know what's funny dude when i first took i've done two like official wim hof training trainings and I, I love it and I do ice baths all the time and stuff so I'm fully on board with his whole thing but I'm sitting in there and I'm going uh this is kundalini yoga yeah. you guys like yeah. you know a lot of the and you know he he talks about that he got a lot of it from 
yoga tradition and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. But yeah, like, you know, there's one that he does called the DMT breathing. And, you, you know, then you do a hold and a tensing of your Squeeze, chakras and you get yeah. super high as shit. Yeah. And like, I'm like, yeah, I do this every day at 9 a.m. Yeah, in Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, so we have the, the, all the um, ability to optimize our system, which is needed in this, in this computerized age. And people right now, um, more than ever, the pressure is crippling people. And, and Yogi Bhajan called it the infodementia syndrome. I mean, when he came out with that, there wasn't even, when he talked, he talked about smartphones in the seventies and everybody laughed at him. Oh, really? He said, all information is going to be available to you at the press of a button. Everybody was like, oh yeah, right. And you know, now we're in it and we don't even realize the pressure that has put us under our nervous system, our endocrine system, our hormones, our, you know, we're, and people are crippled under it. They're, they're so fatigued and so confused and so kind of zombied out and the amount of suicide and drug use and alcoholism. I mean, it's just all skyrocketing. So this is a, a very interesting time to be alive and everybody needs tools. So that's the Kundalini yoga so, rap. So he comes over here and drops this sort of esoteric knowledge and practice, which for anyone that's done yoga and then does kundalini yoga, they're always like, whoa, wh- mm-hmm. what is this? You mm-hmm. know, it's very different. Yeah. Because I invite people, they're like, oh, I'm not flexible. I'm like, no, dude, it's <laughs> Don't not going to be. Yeah, I'm like, we're not like holding <laughs> Wear stretches. Wear your jeans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, you just need a pillow if <laughs> yeah, li- your yeah. hips are tight. But so he brings this over and it just starts kind of spreading throughout you know, the West first and then eventually over the world where it is now. When did it hit you? Like, how did you get into this practice? Well, I was in New York post 9-11 and I had, I lived there and I was, I'd had a dream. I had been following this kind of like Osho dude. And um, so I was already on kind of my spiritual uh, path. I mean, I grew up kind of in the new age circus And, um, so, but I was repelled by it because of that. Like I grew up with a lot of people who were saying the right things and, you know, kind of like chanting mantras and doing stuff, but they were also fucked up. And I was like, well, I don't want to be like this. Um, so I'm not really sure I want to know myself deeper, but I don't want to be like this. So I really was kind of on a journey of what is the, and I didn't even know the words for it at the time, but like, what is the new model of, uh, modern person who has the desire to spelunk their own kind of incredible awing galaxy of our, their our consciousness. Friend, uh, Shiva Rose, who I interviewed the other day yeah. and we saw at class today, yeah. she said, it's the new, new, new age. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. we're kind of turned off by new age. So what, right, you know, right. what's, what's like something, you know, more call it. realistic that we yeah. could do. Cause I know what you mean with that. And I, and I'm, I don't want to uh, deter from the story cause I want to hear the rest of it, but yeah. I've encountered so many kind of spiritual teachers and teachings and communities. I mean, I've been part of so many different things and there's like this sheen that it has and this appeal that it has. And then once you get closer to the leaders or closer to the organization, you find it rot with holes and, you know, and um, some low, lower energy kind of vibe sometimes, you know, and it can be, can be kind of disheartening. I've had that happen before. Oh yeah. But you know, the weird, cause I I actually, um, I did a private session with Tage one day cause I was, I had this experience where, I was working with a spiritual teacher for a long time and I, you can't even quantify the change that took place over me mm. under this person's direction. And eventually we kind of drifted apart. Some weird personality things happened. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, maybe it's just time for me to kind of like 
learn from someone else and and then eventually some really weird stuff happened and it, it it became apparent to me that this person had some serious serious like emotional and psychological problems and it was hard for my brain to compute because he did have very true and real spiritual power and he had such a positive impact on me but he had this dark side that was so so dark and mm-hmm. i went and asked Tage about it she's like dude Every spiritual teacher has the potential for a dark side. You still have an ego. It's like you still have, you know, your right. what do you call it, a meat puppet, or yeah, yeah. You know, you're still inside an animal body. You still have instincts. You, I mean, mm-hmm. it's like the mm-hmm. minute you don't have that, you you leave the planet, and your body isn't, or you're not in your body anymore, and you go into whatever dimension you go to. But it's hard to like discern the real from the false when it comes to like a spiritual group or teaching or something like that. So I just wanted to, to interject, like I. I know what that's like, and you can become yeah. disillusioned because you see some chinks in the armor that are sometimes frightening. Yeah, I think it's an interesting time because the younger kids, like the the younger than even the millennials, they're so sensitized in a certain way that they don't buy the same like spiritual bullshit and like kind of like wellness scene crap that has that is really being consumed heavily by the older generations because we're less sensitive. Um, so I'm I'm really like interested in and watching just a lot of the kind of younger generations being kind of much more intuitive about what they're willing to participate. They they want the pure channels. Now that has, yeah, I mean, anytime we kind of get confused, the student-teacher relationship is a major topic unto itself. And there's no models for it really in this new age. Um, the way that Yogi Bhajan was with his students, it can't be done in this age because people aren't really willing. Um, and because of some of the abuses and weirdness in the kind of spiritual scenes, I think there's that trauma. And also people aren't willing to kind of serve their neuroses up on a platter to their teachers, which is what you have to do in order to you know have that relationship. So at this point, we're not even like in that scene, but there are no secrets in the Aquarian age, meaning that if things aren't in alignment in you and all the levels of the transparency of what this age is creating, people can feel it right away. It's really obvious. And I think that's, you know, why maybe some people have certain magnetic successes and, and things are going for them in certain ways as opposed to, okay, well, I did all the marketing. I did that like online marketing course. And now I know how to like, do you, you know, get my Instagram followers. And I mean, all this kind of bullshit that like, just like two years, I mean, think about this two, maybe two and a half years ago, that was like a huge kind of conversation all over the like internet marketing and these like business, internet business schools. And you do the YouTube video and you do the thing and you do the, you know, there was a lot of noise about that. Like that has completely fallen flat. There's still some of the wreckage of it that's kind of, people are still kind of limping on the leg of like their whatever kind of thing that they created at that point. But Google has totally changed the way that it like advertises to people because these new kind of 19, 20, 21 year olds, if you do a pop-up ad to them, they feel like it's the same as if in the 1950s, somebody came to your door and knocked on the door and tried to sell you a vacuum cleaner. Interesting. That's, I find that to be very fascinating. So these new consumers. (laughs) That's funny. I wish you hadn't just said that because just last night, my producer Tati, who, as I said, will be listening to this, she emailed me. She's like, dude, can we lose the pop-up on your homepage? It's like really lame. I was like, no, bro, I need emails. 
And I made her keep it. She's like, okay. <laughs> I mean, you know. She's a few years younger than I am. Not yeah, 19. Right. But, you but know, she's, she's. Yeah. She's like, ah, oh, it's cheesy. It, you know, you like, know no, people feel that way. Yeah. And I, I totally, I mean, I think it's just very fascinating. So when you are a leader and when you're, when you're, it's transparent. I mean, people can see you better than you can see yourself. It's good to know that because. So. I want to get back to how did you find your first Kundalini class? Yes. So I was with these kind of like, you know, spiritual people, quote unquote. And then I got back to New York kind of disenchanted with some things that had happened um, and some of like the weird stuff that was going on in that community. And um, I stumbled into a woman who was wearing a turban and she looked cool. She was like a DJ and like, you know, she was older than me and she seemed really cool. And so she's like invited me to some yoga class and I've been doing Ashtanga and I, when I do things, I do things. I'm like, you know, I got it. I, I have that kind of um, type A personality. It's kind of type B plus, but still. Um, and so I was doing two hours of Ashtanga every morning and, you know, not really loving it. I didn't like the scene. It was very bourgeois and I came from a very working class, single mother kind of background. So it didn't really like sit with me to have all these people sitting around talking about like being in Mysore and, you know, doing asana. There was a lot of kind of snobbery around the scene at the time. Um, and I didn't, I didn't jive with it, but it was the only yoga that was around that I knew about. And then I went into this Kundalini yoga class and within 20 seconds, I had like my crown blow. I didn't know at the time what it was, but like had all this energy come up my spine, my crown blow open, like shattering my reality all around me. It's called Kundalini rising. And, um, I was from that moment forward, I, Yogi Bhajan was still alive. I was just hell bent on learning everything I could. And that kind of began my journey. And, Yogi Bhajan sent me to Yoga West, which is, it was his school in LA to teach there. You know, I moved to LA, I did a training. He kind of put me at Yoga West to teach there. Um, these were the last like nine months of his life was when I started teaching at Yoga West. It was kind of a dust bowl. Nobody knew what Kundalini Yoga was. There was one kind of teacher who brought people in and I just started teaching and I'm, I'm very stubborn. So, and I really appreciate that about myself. Like when somebody says no to me or there's a challenge, I'm just like, I'm a, very much a person who lives by Yogi Bhajan Sutra. There is a way through every block. And so I just showed up and I showed up and I showed up and I showed up and I just kept on teaching because I knew that these teachings were going to be needed. And my teacher told me to teach there and I did it until I, I had already opened Rama and I was still teaching at Yoga West and Finally, I kind of got the message. It was time. Um, but so that was kind of my journey of, of finding Kundalini Yoga. And then I met Hari Jeevan. And after Yogi Bhajan had passed, my teacher Hari Jeevan and Tej. And, and so I've been really lucky to be with these incredible yogis. That's awesome. That yeah. you, so you got to take his classes and meet him and stuff like that when well, he was around? He was really sick. So by the time I got around, it was like he would give one talk. Right. Like right. all year, basically, those right. last couple. I mean, you know, more than that but so I got I just got that that little bit of the master's touch which was I didn't know at the time what an incredible blessing that was I didn't know I was just a kid I was just kind of like stumbling around being led by something greater than as we always do but it's funny because 
what did he die in 2004 or yes, something like that? Yeah. yeah, I mean like when I found this practice and found out when he had died and that he was, you know, teaching for all those years at Yoga West and stuff around LA. I'm like, dude, I was right down the street yeah. the whole time. It's yeah. like I was like, god damn, you know, but I, I guess know. it wasn't karmically predestined for me to be there, but it's funny that, you know, I was doing this whole trip and and doing all kinds of yoga and stuff mm-hmm, too and it was mm-hmm. literally like 3 miles from my house. He was there all the time, you know. Yeah, it's well, the you know, a lot of, a lot of times he said that he could actually be more with us not in his physical body, which is definitely my experience. So, yeah. Yeah. That's the, So, yeah. well, cool. Thank you for the for the background there. And then uh, what led to the beginning of Rama, the Rama Institute, where we were today, how did that come to be? Because that's quite ambitious, and I want to really talk about the stuff you're doing from yeah. an entrepreneurial kind of new business paradigm standpoint. But yeah. What were the beginnings of that? Well, basically, I got in a meditation on Summer Solstice 2012, Rama Institute for Applied Yogic Science and Technology. Like, exactly like that, Yogi Bhajan's voice. And I said, uh, <clears throat> what? Because I'd never heard any of that put together in that way. Rama is a mantra, Ra, Sun, Ma, Moon. But I had never heard the rest of that ever before. So he said it to me three times, like a thunder dome. And I was just minding my own business. You know, I knew I was going to open something, but I thought I would probably, like, I knew at some point I probably would open a space, but I thought I would probably leave LA to do it. Um, I'm, I'm from the country and like, it's kind of like, I don't know. I, 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 that was my assumption was maybe I would leave Los Angeles to open a space somewhere else, but it wasn't even like a real, I was, you know, having a great time teaching you know, the way that I was teaching. Um, Did and you have a normal day job other than teaching yoga? I mean, were you like... No, no. no. Okay. I, 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 no, Deja. No, no. <laughs> I know, it's hard to What imagine. are you talking about? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I haven't I, had I'm one teasing. in a long time. Um, I'm teasing. No, for, for a decade, I was, I taught yoga and I, ta- I was, I was having fun not having to have any overhead. I taught a lot of, you know, the LA who's who and all this kind of stuff. So I was in that, you know, that situation. Um, and then I was teaching public classes. And, and then I had had this kind of like space behind my house in Venice that we called the Kundalini Speakeasy. And it was just packed all the time. So there was, you know, there was definitely the energy moving. But so I got that. And um, I was like, okay, 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 whatever. And that was, that was on summer solstice. Then I got another kind of variety of things in my sadhana and my meditations in the morning of kind of what was going to need to happen and how to do it. And I, you know, there's a rumor that has been going around that I have a rich husband. Not true. You've met my boyfriend. He He's rich, but I mean, not that way. He's, he's, he's one of the most amazing men ever, but you know, I wasn't like sponsored by my rich husband. I don't have, I, I'm not a trust funder. I'm, I'm from very, very humble means. And I wanted, I wanted to say uh, the boyfriend that she's referring to is John Wineland that was a few episodes ago. So you guys listening, I forget now which number it was, but if you go on my site, you'll be able to find it. And we talked all about um, the relationship between men and women, and it was a fascinating talk. So thank you for mentioning him. Lovely yeah. guy. We, we really vibe. So, so carry on. He's, he's an amazing man. He's such a beautiful leader of, of this time, and I love him very much. So. so I didn't have the kind of just like, let's call somebody and get some money and open a yoga center vibes. Um, so there were a couple of people who believed in me, who uh, helped me, you know, with a very small amount of seed money. Um, and from that, three years later, we have created um, 
two kind of flagships, one in Venice, one in Mallorca, Spain. I've opened several really successful pop-ups and we're working on a bunch of other projects in the brick and mortar. We created Rama TV, which is my online virtual platform that goes out to, now it's looking like 180 plus uh, countries every single morning, my my classes. And thank you, by the way, for giving me access on my birthday. I was in New York and I did manage to find a Kundalini class there in Mm. Chelsea, which was remarkably close to my hotel at the time. But um, one of your team emailed me. It was like, yeah. oh, here's access. So I yeah. got to like, in my breaks, I was teaching at School of Style that day yeah. at the Chelsea Piers. And uh, and I got to like take little breaks and and mm. watch some classes. But I, I was thinking this morning as we were in class and there's all this, you know, there's a like whole DJ booth and a camera behind me and stuff. And I'm like, oh, yeah. So right now this is live, right? Yeah. Is that how Rama TV works? So Well, right now we are live streaming as kind of a promotion for my book. But oh, okay. normally we live stream some and some most days the classes go up, they get uploaded like by one o'clock PST. God, so dope. Cause one of the I swear, like when I think I've been in LA 29, 30 years now and I love it here, but every time I go to the country or I go to Ojai or Palm Springs or Big Sur or whatever, I'm like, why do I live in LA? Like, what am I doing? I don't, because now I don't have like work that always requires me to be here. Yeah. But there's things like my Kundalini yoga class. I'm like, I don't think I could leave. Or like when Tage loses her building, which is, 10 minutes from my house. I'm like, what am I going to do? Yeah. So it's so cool to know. I mean, just personally, I'm like, oh, sick. It's one more way to be untethered from having to like be in my little habituated life of yeah. like having to go to this building with this teacher. So Rama TV is like so genius Thank you for anyone Thank with you. an internet connection to be able to tune in. Because for me, like the addiction meditation, the reason I don't do it is because I lack the discipline at this point in time mm. to like build those type of habits typically. I mean, yeah. I meditate for 20 minutes every morning. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of things I'm very yeah. um, good at keeping, but to do like a 90 minute yoga set, mm-hmm. honestly is not going to happen anytime right. soon for me. Right. Just like, right. you got go to know what you, yeah, you yeah. got to know yourself. I go to my yeah. brother's gym and we do like these 20 minute high intensity workouts. I mean, I get my ass handed to me a few days those. a week. I yeah. mean, it's fantastic. And he gives me the workouts and a little timer on my phone. He's like, dude, you don't need to come in here. Just go do it. It's a lot of body weight stuff and Mm -hmm, you can do mm -hmm. it in a park or whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah, yeah, cool. And I write them down. I have the timers and everything. And I'm like, yeah. I went to New York. He gave me a whole protocol. And I I hate to admit this. And Cody, if you ever hear this, I'm sorry, bro. I haven't told him. Thank you for putting it together. But I didn't do it one time. Yeah. So like, but if I could log in to a site like Rama TV and like every day I, you know, I'm living in Idaho in the woods and I have my internet connection. I'm like, like, cool, I'm going to Rama TV every, uh, every day at 9 a.m. and I'm going to do my practice. Like, I personally would do it. Yeah. Because there's like the collective consciousness and there's, it's there, like it's happening. You so. feel it. I mean, we've done our best to create an environment where you really feel like it's not overproduced on purpose. It's really, you feel like you're sitting in the back of the room and the, the sound is good because this is a sound technology, but the rest of it, we're not doing like camera angles and fancy. Like, I really don't like that. In you terms don't need of, it. You don't need it. And also it takes away from the, the energy is the energy, right? So we really create an experience where you feel like you're sitting down and people all over the world. I mean, I never thought this. I never thought this part of it, but people now pilgrimage to Rama Venice 
as a place that they, it's, it's become like a pilgrimage place. I mean, I never, I really didn't think that that was, I, I didn't know any of this. I mean, this was all like, you're being used, right? So we created Rama TV, we created Rama Records, our record label to get these sounds in a really kind of new, fresh way out there. And we've worked with some really cool musicians and we're working on our next album. We created, um, just recently, we were getting into kind of more of the media, which I talked about this morning. We've created Rama Press and our first kind of thing is the Rama zine. I grew up at like in the kind of 90s punk rock scene and I, you know, if you were cool in the 90s punk rock scene, you had your own zine, right? And I really wanted to create this like cool zine that has, that is of this new kind of mindset of like, no, actually what's a revolutionary act on this planet right now is to be happy. And to be truly happy, not like spiritually bypassing, but like, like I'm alive. And yeah, it's, it's an interesting time on the planet, but I'm alive and I'm open and available for whatever that means. So the zine is an outpouring of that kind of Dharma art. And I also created this, you know, Rama radio, which um, is, we want it to be programmed with all sorts of fun things, but right now it's just my radio show called Reality Riffing. But so we're just, you know, we're just kind of growing one thing at a time, but this has all happened in the three years, which- crazy town. It it has been crazy. That's madness. So, wow, God. I mean, I know just as a business owner that it's, it takes a lot. Like, here's the thing. Everyone's like, oh, I want to quit my job. I have this great idea. Yeah. But how many people actually do that? And of those of us that are either courageous and or stupid enough to actually stupid, not yeah. have a job and like mm-hmm. go build our own company, yep. it's not for the faint at heart. It is not. And <laughs> so, I mean, there's always something going on. So how have you found, I mean, did you go to business school or do you read entrepreneur books? Like, how are you such a beast in business? Like, where did that come from? Are you just figuring out as you go? Or do you, do you study? Do you train? Do you have mentors? Like, what's yeah. the secret for someone who has a vision and knows that they have a gift for the world and want to build an infrastructure and monetize that? Like, what's been the, the secret what's sauce the there? Yeah. Well, something that I've noticed, and, I, you know, hopefully I piss off some people with this, but, um, you know, I do, I do my best. I'm a giver, so if I can... Uh, but... I've noticed, I was sitting around a table at a wedding recently and the woman, the bride had gone to, I think it was Yale Business School and then all of her friends, there was a lot of like Harvard and Yale Business School people. We're all sitting around and it was like, what do you do? I'm a consultant. What do you do? I'm a CEO. What do you do? Then, you know, basically all around the table are people who work for other people. And then you get to me and this is like, and, and most like, uh, VC companies that are have that understand things are looking for entrepreneurs like me who are you know I did actually finish college but a lot of times they're looking for people who never finished high school never finished college right that that have like a, the maverick mind the genius mind and know how to so I thought it was it was actually a moment of kind of an interesting moment for me where I was like oh like when you go to school to get an MBA, you're learning how to run somebody else's business for the most part. I'm not saying completely, but for the most part. So I'm, I'm a maverick. Like I have that kind of, my biggest gift has been my resourcefulness. And it is one of my, cause I'm constantly, we did, I, I do a training called the crane business training, which Tej teaches at, and we have a really good time. We've done it two years in a row now. And I did this time a millennial panel cause I work with all these millennials and younger. I'm very curious about like how they tick. And one of the things I'm always trying to like install in them is resourcefulness will get you everywhere. Like if you really understand 
how to utilize your resources, both as a yogi, because you have X amount of time and X amount of energy in a day, and as just a resourceful human being. Like you can do so much with so little. And so every time I've been approached by VC, which has been you know a lot, especially recently. One of the things that they're so interested in, they, they, they just can't believe how much money I started with. They just can't believe it. Like, wh- what? You know, that's always the question I get is like, um, and so I think that that's been one of my greatest gifts is that I'm just, I am ferociously resourceful. And when someone says no to me, I don't take no for an answer. And I really look, I really, but all of that energy, because people ask me a lot, like, how do you have the energy to do everything you do? All of that energy comes from my spiritual practice, bottom line. So I get up in the morning, I get right with myself and with my environments and with my world. And Yogi Bhajan gave a teaching because Yogi Bhajan was an incredible businessman. And he gave a teaching that each business has its own identity. It has its own ego and you're serving it. It's not serving you. It's not the other way around. And I very much have taken that to heart. So each entity that I create has its own kind of, it's like children. It's like, it has its own needs and its own way about it and what works and what doesn't. So I'm constantly kind of like course correcting of how to, but all of that comes from the wherewithal, the clarity, the the strength of my personal spiritual practice, and then the gift of having a living teacher. Um, and, and also, you know, I, I have to say, John is an incredible businessman and has like a real maverick's mind too. And I really feel like very grateful to him because he's been very helpful to me in kind of placing things and understanding certain kind of things and laws of the universe. But for anybody who is wanting to do, first of all, you know, really ask yourself because it is much easier to get a paycheck from someone else the kind of sacrifice that I've put in of my youth and of my, you know, quality of life and of my time and of, you know, uh, having a child and just the sacrifices I've made to be able to do what I've done in the past three years have been monumental. I, you know, there's just, but I do it not, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of a different entrepreneur because I'm doing it because of the dharmic aspects of it. Um, I really believe that these kind of spiritual centers and these places where people can gather and be with each other and remind each other of our goodness. And I feel that they're going to be more important than they are the Starbucks of the Aquarian age. And they're going to, that, that is what's going to happen. I see it really, really clearly. So, and I'm crazy. That's the other thing. So I get an idea. I mean, they'll tell you, I like, you know, in my sadhana, in my practice in the morning, I get an idea and then I come in and I'm like, all right, here, this is what we're going to do. And everyone's like, oh no. <laughs> Those, I could just see everyone like clinching on my team of like, no, we have so much to do. Are you kidding me? Um, but it's, 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 it's a creative act. I, I think business and entrepreneurship is some of the most eloquent creativity. And if you're doing it as art, it will and you're doing it as something that will actually serve people, it will be successful in this age. You can't do things in this age to just like get, you know, get yours. It just doesn't work. I love the the story that you mentioned about going to dinner with all these educated people. <laughs> you know, it's like I get like this certain satisfaction and not like I'm that successful, <laughs> but from where I came from, yeah, which is, yeah. you know, like definitely didn't have it much of a shot at doing mm. anything with myself. Mm. I'm very successful personally. Mm. Um 
but I dropped out of high school mm-hmm. and have totally been self-taught and self-educated. But uh, I read something a few months ago, and I can't find this reference again. So if anyone listening, you know what I'm talking about, please like email me and send me the link. And Tati, listening to this, if you can find this somehow, because I forget where I read, I was like, oh, that's genius. I'll remember that. And I was like, ah, where was yeah, it? But yeah. it, it speaks to the entrepreneur sort of mindset and, um, and talent. And that is that it was something to the effect, like the top uh, eight or 10 highest IQs in the world, like on record today, all work for someone else. Mm. And so it was all based around this theory. Not that there's anything wrong with working for anyone mm-hmm, else. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I, I was an assistant stylist for like six years. Most people do that shit for like two years and they're like, I want to be the boss. I didn't want to be the boss. It was great. Right, like I could right. go home and sleep at night. I could right. have a band, you know, so yeah. having a job is cool uh, because it, you probably live longer, frankly. Yeah, it, 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 <laughs> I, I hear you. I hear you. But the, the, the theory was this: that so you have like, well, why aren't the smartest people on record on the planet? Why don't they own Apple? Why don't they own Chevrolet and Budweiser? Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. how come they're not the badasses at the top? And the theory is this: that entrepreneurs are this unique animal that are just dumb enough <laughs> to yeah. like to do something that is not logical based on passion and intuition, yeah. whereas like someone that's that highly intelligent and intellectual is able to better calculate the risks of an endeavor. <laughs> and so they don't do it. I hear you. Like the smartest man in the world right now is like, well, you know, he can actually like run the metrics and go, you know what? I have this idea for a company, but here's all the very real risks involved. So therefore I'm not doing it. I'm just going to work at a high level mm-hmm. position at this corporation. Right. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's that theory. And I thought, Oh, that's so good. I mean, it's so good for my self-worth because I know yeah. that I'm not dumb, but I'm also not super, super smart. Right. I mean, you know, someone with a degree from Yale or Princeton or Harvard business school, like I wouldn't even understand the language they're talking. Right. I don't even know how to read a PL, honestly, mm-hmm. like I'm mm-hmm. lost in yeah. so many ways, but I also know in my gut when I have a good idea. And nothing's going to stop me from pursuing that idea. And yeah. not all of them work, right? but the ones that count do. Yeah. And it's because I can't see the risks involved. If it doesn't work out, I'm like, ah, oh, whatever, I'll lose money and I'll, yeah. I'll lick my wounds. Just and keep I'll, going. Yeah, yeah, and I'll just put my gloves back on and get back in the ring. But isn't that interesting? It's, I mean, I've got to find the reference because it was a whole thing and explained you know, who the people are even, yeah. like who these high IQ people are that work you know, for someone else. And I was like, yes, drop out of high school, be your own boss. I, I figured it out. <laughs> That's you know? a, that, there it is. Um, I personally, I also have a theory that in all of these kind of um, businesses, a great example, uh, there's also the financial sector or any kind of um, technical jargon lexicon. Basically, it's a bunch of people who've created a language that is a language that they figure out or they know um, or they created it. Uh, and then everyone's just kind of like referencing and in that kind of bubble of the lexicon. And that does not make them smart. I'm sorry. And, and a p and if uh, most people don't know, people who've gone to business school don't know how to read a PL. Because my other thing I'll say about business is I heard this very early. Lou Wasserman, who ran Universal Studios, he had three, uh, Maverick, right? Maverick mind. He had three numbers put on his desk in the morning every day. A huge operation of Universal Studios, three numbers, not a PL, not a bunch of crap, some jargon of business school and all this kind of stuff. He had three numbers that kept him able to run a very successful business. I heard that a couple of years ago and I was like, I know, I want to know what those three numbers are. And when I find them, I am going to 
use, like I totally downloaded that program because I believe that you can basically go in and kind of download people's geniuses and, and in the, you know, this is kind of part of the, what the yogic science gives you the ability to, to do. So if Lou Wasserman was running all of Universal Studios on three numbers, and I've been in business meetings where you have all these people with degrees and are consultants and all this kind of stuff, they don't know how to read the PL either because the PL has to be constructed in a way that is going to give you the information that actually will help you drive the bus. So I think it's all kind of a, a big joke. And I feel that the people who are successful in any way, this is, goes back to my original point, they know how to sort and optimize the information. It has nothing to do with, you know, Lou Wasserman didn't give a fuck about a PL because most people who are in the PL consciousness, they're just fiddling around with, you can maneuver numbers any way you want. It's called the matrix. It's called Enron. It's called Bear Stearns. <laughs> and Bear Stearns, I mean, this, this is very interesting. I mean, Nobody knew on the lower levels what was going on. The only people who actually understand the matrix are one person at the very, very, very top who didn't go to business school, who is a maverick, who understands the numbers. So anyways, this is my theory about all of that is that if you understand the matrix on any level, so whether it's business, whether it's the way energetics work, whether it's the way, if you understand the matrix, you can apply that to any and the, my practice of kind of optimizing what Yogi Bhajan calls neuron velocity has made me so much smarter. What, however you want to say it, but it has put me in access to this capacity that I think all humans have. I think IQ is a, a Piscean test in terms of what it's actually looking at because all humans have the power to optimize the brain and right now we're only using about 3%. <laughs> I'm really hoping that you found that conversation to be as interesting and inspiring as I did. You know what else is inspiring is the song we're listening to right now by the band White Sun, a kundalini yoga mantra called Apsahai Hoa, and it's one of my favorites. I want to remind you to check in with us next Tuesday for number 38 with Guru Jagat Part 2. This conversation was just too good to cut in the middle, so I decided to cut it in half. That was part one. Part two is coming next week. I can't wait for you to join me. And if you want to make sure that you don't miss it, here's what you need to do. Reach down on your device or your mouse, computer, whatever it is you're listening to my voice on right now, and click on subscribe. That way every week the new episode will be downloaded to your phone. Another thing that would be awesome is if you could share this episode with a friend. Click on share, click on forward, screen grab it, text to someone, do whatever you can using that piece of technology to spread the word of spiritual enlightenment, joy, and happiness throughout the planet. Thank you so much for being with me, and I can't wait to bring you part two next week. If you live on the west coast of the U.S. and you're interested in drinking the most pristine, clean, natural, untouched spring water ever, you want to go to fountainoftruthspringwater.com, enter the code LIFESTYLIST to save 27% off your delivery order. That's fresh, totally untreated, beautiful spring water delivered cold in glass bottles to your door if you live on the west coast. So go to fountainoftruthspringwater.com, Enter the code LIFESTYLIST and save 27%. 
Don't forget, if you're going to be in L.A. on New Year's Eve, come meet me and my friends at the Santa Monica Bay Women's Club for the big yoga party. You can go to harig1.com forward slash events to get tickets for 40 bucks, or you can show up at the door and pay 45 I get nothing out of promoting this. I just want to meet some of my listeners there. So if you recognize my voice, you might even not know what I look like. But if you hear me talking somewhere, please come up, tap me on the shoulder. Let's do yoga. Let's meditate. Let's hang out. I hope some of you can make it. 